0: You are listening to the Hex Devs podcast,
1: the podcast for the smart developer.
0: Antoine Ponsard, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're very happy to have you here. Thanks for coming.
2: It's my pleasure. Just uh, happy to chat with you guys. Mm-hmm.
0: So, do you want to talk a little bit about yourself, your background?
2: Sure. Um, so, I grew up in France. Um, I spent um, you know, the first part of my life there around Paris, moved a little bit around. Um, and then I did my undergrad in France as well um, at a school called École Polytechnique, which had a variety of sciences. And then I realized that I was really interested in computer science. And so that's what I studied. Um, and I was also interested in design at that time. So I moved to Vancouver to do a Master's in uh, Human-Computer Interaction, HCI, which kind of combines computer science and design. So that's how I'm here.
1: So what exactly did you like about design? Um, Is the idea of creating something that people will really like to use what what was about design that most interested you
2: yeah that's a good question uh, i actually discovered design through computer science because i did a class in web programming and then you know i learned like this simple javascript stuff and i was like oh it's really cool you know you can just create a, a little web app and people can interact with it you can have animations all that stuff and i was like huh that that's something that really attracts me um and I think there's a lot of similarities between user experience design and and programming because in both cases you're you're, you're building something, right? You're creating something from scratch. It's just that the the tools are different.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. I ask that because usually, especially with backend developers, let's say, there is this misconception, I guess, that if you want to be a really good programmer or something, you really, oh, you know, I don't care about design at all. I just care about stuff in the back end, or I don't want to deal with UI at all. I just care about my terminal and everything. But do you think that in the long term of building products for people, which is what we do as programmers, not necessarily if you are just a front end or a back end, do you think that if you believe in that, it's kind of harmful like at the end for the user?
2: That's a good question. Um, I think it depends on the size of the company. If you're a large enough company, for instance, you know Amazon, I'm sure they can have thousands of developers that are fully back-end, and that, that's just fine. And, and I'm happy that they're doing the work they're doing, because then we mm-hmm. can use that to build products. Uh, but in a small company, I think it's it could be a problem if you have that mentality in a small dev team, um, because then the product you're building will most mm-hmm. likely be flawed <laughs> in a way or another.
0: And you're not gonna have any users because your UX is terrible, so.
2: <laughs> but your code is gonna be so beautiful.
0: Yeah, like you have the fastest code, but your UX is terrible, so.
2: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful back end, but with a uh, just. A really ugly button.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's it's good that different people, you know, have different interests. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think the the flip side is true. We don't want front end engineers to just care about the experience and write ugly code uh, because then it's going to be unmaintainable, buggy, all these things. Um, I also think that nowadays with the front end frameworks that we have, like React this these things bring a lot of complexity a lot of power but also a lot of complexity and so i think the lines between front-end and back-end are blurring in that sense yeah
0: uh, so it's interesting because you like ux and design but you also have a background in computer science and coding do you think it's easier for you to uh, design a good looking interface with lots of usability but also be able to code You know, because I I think it's an advantage, you know, like, because you're not just, oh, I'm going to create this little interface, but you also know about how you're going to create it, what is possible and what is not possible. So,
2: yeah, I think it's, it's a nice perspective to have. Um, but I would say that overall, I think the, the mindset that you have when you're designing something versus programming, these two mindsets are very different. and so you you really have to switch from one to the other as a designer you you really need to be creative um whereas as a programmer, at least the way I program is I kind of think about things in advance and try to come up with a good structure, good you know hierarchy of components, this kind of stuff um I guess where you're also asking the question on whether it's a valuable skill to have to, to have like design and programming. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the answer to that that I have discovered so far is that a lot of people say that, yes, it is very valuable. You know, they told me, oh, it's great. You can have this, you know, these these two hats. It's it's very unique. Um, but in practice, yeah. I don't think companies care that much um, simply because. Um, the companies that need someone that can do both the coding and the design will be very, very small companies, right? And, and then it's okay if you're like a co-founder, but if you're working for them, you will just be part of a very mm-hmm. small team. And as soon as a company grows to, you know, like 20 people or so, they should have the resources to hire a full-time person in each role. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my personal experience, i don't think having the two backgrounds helps immensely but the part that is useful is that once you've picked your side then you can't communicate much better with the other side mm-hmm. because you know like what what language they use what things they are paying attention to things mm-hmm.
1: like that um yeah yeah in in a context of a big company where you have the teams separately i agree with you like for example if you want to build a little side project or you know other stuff that's definitely. like really really nice right or it's also good let's say that you don't want to work just as a programmer anymore you can also try you know i'm gonna take a break of programming <laughs> i'm gonna just do the the designing i think it's good yeah, yeah.
2: definitely and i've you know i've thought of doing i could do my own company mm-hmm. my own startup um if i find a business partner that can handle this side of things then i can create the, the product experience mm-hmm. um, but right now i'm happy mm-hmm. with with coding most of the time
1: mm-hmm. yeah so now you are working at asana right um can you just give a little bit of introduction about what do you do there? Uh, why did you decide to join the company?
2: Sure. Um, so Asana is uh, technically called a work management software. Mm. So it's kind of a new category of, of software, of, of SaaS apps. Um, in the past, you had things that were more like for planning projects, where typically you have one project planner that uses this very complicated tool, right? The idea of, of Asana is that everyone in the company should manage their work together. Um, and so each person has their own account, they have tasks that they complete and, and comment and discuss on these tasks. And of course, we also have some, some views to help coordinate, so grouping tasks into projects, having you know, timelines for completion, all these various mm-hmm. um, ways to, to get a sense of what everyone is working on in your organization um so it started in San Francisco it's actually pretty old it started I think 10 years ago mm-hmm. um, one of so the two co-founders came from Facebook where they developed um, a, a task management tool inside Facebook and they were like oh actually this is you know really useful and they decided to um, to make it their own company um, and so in April of this year, Asana opened an office in Vancouver, and so I joined as the first batch of of Mm -hmm. hires here, (laughs) which was a a fun experience because we were like very few people, uh, Mm -hmm. maybe I think 10 or 11 at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, So you know, we're just, you know, we work and creating a new team from scratch.
1: Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, so. Why did you decide to do a master's degree? And how was the experience of doing a master's degree in another country, you know, in another language? Uh, How was the experience for you?
2: So I had a lot of fun in my master's. Um, I think the biggest difference was that as a grad student, you were treated very differently than an undergrad undergrad, you're in your classroom, you know, the teacher kind of tells you to do things and you do them as a grad student, especially since it was a research based program at UBC. So you're working kind of closely with your supervisor um, to do research projects, and your classes are typically in smaller groups. And yeah, the, the, the context in which you're learning is very different. Um, I also really liked that we did a lot of projects um, whereas in France, I felt like in my undergrad, I didn't do as many projects, um, so that was great. I had some good friends during my master, and, you know, we started our friendship by just working hard together on these projects. And it was, yeah, it was a very interesting topic. Uh, it's, it's a very broad field. Mm-hmm. Now the question is... Did it really help me in terms of, you know, becoming a better programmer that could be debatable? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people just do an undergrad and that's probably all you need to get a job as a software developer, mm-hmm. but still I'm, I'm glad I did this master because I think personally it, it brought me a lot. mm
3: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. What, what kind of projects did you, did you do?
2: Um, yeah, so one thing I can explain, maybe it's going to be hard without drawing, but okay. <laughs> so, you know, in your computer, you have settings or preferences, right? And they all look pretty much the same. You have a list of checkboxes or dropdowns and you can choose some values. Um, it's very consistent across many different types of apps, but it kind of sucks as an experience because. It's very different from how you normally use these apps. Um, so there's, there's no good mapping between the two. You have to read these text labels and try to figure out what they mean, whether they're going to do the right thing or not. Sometimes you don't even know if what you want to change is changeable, right? So my, uh, my project was to try to come up with a more visual representation mm-hmm. of these settings so that you could more directly customize what you see on your screen when you're using an app. And so my prototype was to, when you're looking at an app, instead of opening settings, you would just turn on a special mode, a customization Mm -hmm. mode, where you would see little markers on all the elements that could be changed. So like, Mm -hmm. if you can show or hide a certain button, right? Or Mm -hmm. then you would have a marker there with, and when you click on it, it shows you only the setting that applies to that button. Um, same thing for keyboard shortcuts; they're mapped to the equivalent button in the UI. Things like that.
1: <laughs> Seems like you really enjoyed. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, um, and the coding part was actually really fun because I did it on the web, um, and there was a an app at the time called Wonderlist, mm-hmm. also a task management app, <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, I just used them as a as an example. And so my prototype was essentially injecting <laughs> a little script in the in the app to to take over the UI and and do this customization.
1: Mm. So what what kind of technologies did you use?
2: So back then that was about four or five years ago. I used mm-hmm. Angular JS, mm-hmm. Angular one. Um, Wonderlist itself was built using backbone Js, which mm. is even older. Um, but you know it works. Mm.
1: yeah, it's interesting because I think that some people they they are thinking about pursuing a master's degree, but then they feel like, oh, you know it's really outdated. I will not learn a bunch of practical stuff. So in that case, it seems like it was a really practical degree one, Wh- which one was it again? In, in, um. uh, so it
2: was a master's in computer science with, oui. with a specialization in HCI. Mm,
1: right. Um, so did you move to Vancouver specifically because of that course or it's not? It's for,
2: for a combination of factors. Um, one of them is I wanted to you know, travel, I wanted to discover a new place, I wanted to improve my English, so... Mm-hmm. I had to go to an English-speaking country. Um, I thought North America would be a good place just because computer science is so big here. Um, So yeah, I applied to a bunch of places and um, I guess one of the deciding factor was that I got a scholarship at UBC, Mm. um, which obviously helps. And also they flew all the prospective grad students to Vancouver to visit the campus And I was like, oh, this, this is very nice. It Um, is. It looks
1: like. Yeah. yeah.
2: And you know, the, I had good contact with the professors there. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was a great choice.
0: Mm, That sounds really cool. Yeah. So when I was doing, because I I did a master's too in computer science and I feel like my master my master's was more theoretical a little Mm -hmm. bit. But then I learned a bunch of things that I wouldn't be able to learn on my own, probably. And so some of the ideas and the techniques that I I learned in in the past, I feel, I think that I still use them a little bit, like not the specific technique, but the ability to like learn how to learn and apply new things. So do you feel that, do you feel that way too? Do you think it was useful to you in your career? Mm. Do you think you still use? things um definitely
2: yeah definitely one of the things is that i learned how to write papers uh for since it was research right academic research and writing papers is very difficult because you work on this project for an entire year and then you have to condense it on 10 pages and it has to be absolutely crystal clear extremely concise um and so i think it's a great great way to train yourself to communicate well And so that definitely helps when you're writing technical design documents, stuff like that. Another thing is presentation. Same thing you need to present at your conference. It helps you to get comfortable speaking in front of a crowd. Um, From a technical point of view, I learned on my own, for instance, AngularJS. So uh, I learned how to be resourceful in in terms of programming, which is good. from a theoretical point of view, I didn't learn that much. Um, and, uh, except for, I guess, theory in human computer interaction, which is very specific. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think a master is, a, is an interesting experience and it's definitely useful in fields that require advanced knowledge. So if you're doing, of course, data science, machine learning, it's great. If you're doing security, any sort of you know embedded systems you'll likely need more than an undergrad uh, worth of knowledge for these fields
1: mm-hmm. so how how was the m- the process of um registering for the course like getting the scholarship let's say that someone that is listening to us right now is thinking about applying for a master um, at ubc or i don't know any other University here in Canada. Do you have like any tips, um, advice? Good question. Yeah.
2: Um, so, yeah, for for the money part, I think in general Canadian universities are cheaper, significantly cheaper than American universities, um, and some of them are very good. Um, so, just some names: so University of Toronto, University of Waterloo, UBC, um, and. I always forget the one in montreal but anyway there's, there's <laughs> a good one in montreal I don't so know just very good school and there will be more affordable mm-hmm. than the equivalent in the u.s um another thing is so here these research-based masters you're you're kind of paid as a teaching assistant or graduate research assistant um mm-hmm. so that that helps at mm-hmm. at ubc basically everyone in the master's programming in computer science get this um mm. this funding right it's, it's not huge but mm. it's that's nice mm.
3: um
2: in terms of application it was kind of a standard application you know you need to practice to do well on the little tests and stuff um writing a good um it's not a cover letter because that's for a job but like <laughs> the equivalent <laughs> when you're applying for university, um, I did spend a bunch of time kind of like looking at what the different profs were working on. And I tried to pick at least one project that I found interesting. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned, you know, I would like, I would be interested to work with professor X. I liked how they did blah in their paper, blah, right. Mm -hmm. And I think we could possibly maybe try this other approach. Mm -hmm. Um, so. I think that that's a good start mm-hmm. um yeah aside yeah. from that canada is very mm-hmm. easy in terms of immigration and things like that so
1: mm-hmm. um, so can you talk a little bit more about the the scholarship was it like a ubc scholarship or was like a france canada so relationships d- the,
2: the scholarship i mentioned is the fact that you get funding through so so the way it works is that the computer science department guarantees you a certain amount per year, which was something like 20K per year, um, and then they will provide it to you either as a teaching assistant or as a research okay. assistant, or if you can't find any of that, the government will step in mm. to provide it, but it's very likely you'll find ah. either of the other two.
1: Interesting.
0: So I saw that you were part of a uh, group I don't know called Girls Smarts for Tech at UBC right and I thought it was pretty interesting can you talk <laughs> a little bit about that
2: sure um, I was um, I guess a, a tutor uh, for, d- for this organization the idea is that to make computer science more diverse um, it's good to get kids excited about it um, especially before, you know, stereotypes will come into play. Um, and so Girl Smarts is, uh, I don't know how old it is, uh, an association that brings um, young girls. So I forgot which grade they are in, but pre-teens, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a day on campus at UBC on a Saturday where they go through different uh, workshops to the, the day. And so, and it was pretty diverse, pretty interesting. (laughs) So you had, they even had like a 3D printing workshop. um, Well, the usual like front-end development workshop. um, And I guess something a little more computer (laughs) science-y. And yeah, the idea is so that they they get exposed to how fun it can be to program and and play around. Um, Mm -hmm. And hopefully um, in the long run, it will, you know spark an interest
1: okay so that the with the master's degree mm-hmm. you I assume you got here with a student visa right yeah um, but then how was the process of migrating from a visa student to a work permit or something
2: uh. um, so at least in, in my time it was very easy you automatically got a work permit after your study permit, as long as you completed your degree. And if you did an undergrad, you got two years work permit. And if you did a, a two-year master, you got a three-year work permit, which is what I got. And it's an open work permit, so you can work mm-hmm. for any company. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know great. Um, and after that, it was fairly easy to apply for a permanent residency because after a year of work, you have all the points you need, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good to know. That's really good. makes a lot of things easier.
2: Yeah. Um, and it's, again, unlike the United States when after you, you do get a work permit after or work visa, but it's not gonna lead to anything unless the company is willing to sponsor you mm-hmm. um so that can be quite difficult
1: mm. nice i didn't know that
0: so getting back to your your work at uh girls smarts for tech so uh, i'm really fascinated by this problem of um, tutoring young mm. people or like mentoring junior developers I think it's really important for a person, like if you want to be like a senior developer, it's really important to mentor other people, coach other people, because it's really, so it's a really effective way for you to learn more and learn how to communicate with people better, in a better Mm -hmm. way. And also the stuff you said about like being right, writing well, and I think it's really important for a programmer a developer to be able to write well and express ideas in a, in a clear way mm-hmm. and do you think so so how was your experience um, tutoring young people was it hard do you think that like when they're young they're more excited about things and they learn faster so
2: how mm, that's a good question um, I don't think this particular girls my experience was very relevant to your question, because it was kind of just a one day workshop. And we had planned it very well in advance, it was mostly like, going through the steps of Mm -hmm. what they have to complete. Um, But I think, in my work, I've had to explain, you know, various things to other uh, more junior developers. And so I've definitely felt what you were describing. Um, I very much believe in the idea that if you can't explain explain something clearly, it means you don't actually understand it. Mm-hmm. So it's a good a good test of your own knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think you now a big a big thing is whether you can be excited about what you're describing or not and mm-hmm. typically that's contagious. If you're excited, they'll get excited about it. Um, I think uh, another trade-off I've had to make, especially with co-op students, is how much do you provide to them versus have them figure out on their own, right? Especially in programming, we want people to be resourceful. We want them to first check stack overflow if possible. Um, And so I, I always, yeah, I guess my approach is that I think in some cases it's good to provide an overview of some of the key concepts so that they have a foundation of how things work at a very high level and what to look for and then i let them struggle a bit on their own trying to sort things out and then maybe at the code review stage then you can come back give some more detailed feedback um help them grow
1: have you had the chance of mentoring junior, other junior developers, in your current work or in your previous work?
2: Um, not in my current work because we were all hired at like the the intermediate kind of level. Um, but in my previous company at Hood Suite we'd uh, have um, one co-op in my team and also uh, two junior developers. So, yeah, I think it's. I don't know, it's probably part of the fun Mm -hmm. of being a developer is to be able to work with other people and work with more senior people that you can learn from and pass it on Um, to more junior people. It's great when you see them achieve something impressive, right? Mm -hmm. Like, especially for co-ops, they come out of school, they've learned things in a very constrained environment, um, and then suddenly you're like, hey, JavaScript, React, React, go um <laughs> and at the end you know they they were really talented like they could mm-hmm. contribute just like any other developer mm-hmm. to the team
3: yeah
1: and it's kind of something that will resonate in the future right if you onboard people right especially in their first years of experience if you are excited about sharing your knowledge and you're making them feel excited, they will probably do that with you know the other juniors as well. So I think that that is something really nice to hear another developer saying that. <laughs>
3: right.
1: <laughs> um, because I feel that at the end, that's beneficial for the community. Like, of course, everyone can go and read the documentation, let's say. <laughs> but if there is someone that already went through a lot of um, with something and you find someone that says, hey, um, so I actually figured out a better way to understand this. So, you know, you're, you're making um, life, yeah, you're making that process uh, easier for everyone, right? So That's
2: true. And, and it's not just junior people who have to learn, right? Even for, for us, when I joined Asana, there was a lot even though we're using React and TypeScript that I knew, there's still a, l- a lot of, of particular knowledge that you need to gain. And so mm-hmm. this skill of explaining things is useful at any level of your career, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so y- yeah, the process at Asana was very thorough. So we have this concept of the coding bootcamp. So you go to bootcamp for two weeks, you're given like a very basic project to, to work on and also a lot of different classes through these two weeks that will teach you kind of like the different aspects of our code base and there's lots of internal tools and systems that you learn about. Um, And so really at the end, you get a good sense of how things are working. Um, Another thing that I was very impressed by is they actually wrote documentation, um, you know, in in Markdown files uh, in GitHub so it's very easy to search and navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really helps when you have someone actually explain with words how things are working, rather than trying to, to read you know, tons and tons of mm-hmm. files until you can piece it back together.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually pretty cool, like the idea of having a two-week boot camp mm-hmm. so you can onboard on yourself to the company. That's, that's a pretty cool idea.
2: Yeah, it happens because um, so in the past it didn't work like that. In the past you would join a team and your team would help you kind of get started.
1: Wait, sorry. Was that the interview process or or was that the onboarding process? That was the onboarding process. Oh, okay. Yeah, in your first two weeks. Mm -hmm.
2: um, My first two weeks at Asana. Mm. Um,
1: Interesting, yeah.
2: Yeah, and so it it was a way to kind of scale up onboarding because we now hire... I don't know the exact numbers but but a lot of developers uh, every month and so mm-hmm. you you need basically a mini university to uh, to get people started um, and i think also asana is probably at the scale we i think we just passed 600 p- employees um and so i think we're still at the scale where you can have a sense in the end team of what people are working on and what the whole infrastructure looks like mm-hmm. but I'm sure once you pass you know c- a thousand couple thousand people probably it's the level of complexity is just too big and mm-hmm. most people won't be ha- able to have this bird's-eye view on mm-hmm. on the, the tech stack
1: mm-hmm. and so as you said that Asana is growing up really fast here in mm-hmm. Vancouver So I assume you are hiring for a a lot of openings. We (laughs) are. Yeah.
2: Um, So we have, I'm not sure exactly what we have on our website right now, but we're definitely hiring for engineers. So if you're interested, Mm -hmm. (laughs) talk to me. Um, I assume there'll be a way to contact me. But otherwise, if you just Google Antoine Ponsard, Mm -hmm. people will find me. Um, Yeah. And I would highly recommend it as a good place to work. Um, Yeah, so uh, there's lots of good things about this company, I guess. One of them for me is that I care about the product Mm -hmm. um, because it's about making people productive, right? And that's something I like. The fact that we use it every day at work, it's nice to see the improvements that your, your code is making, right? Um, and in terms of culture it's very mature as I would describe it, it's definitely not like you know, we're all bros out of college, (laughs) a lot of people have partners, families Mm -hmm. um, so it's very it's very nice and genuine Mm -hmm. um, ambience Mm
0: -hmm. cool Uh, getting back to the the culture because like when you said oh, we have lots of documentation, we mm-hmm. have a n- nice onboarding process, but like someone has to go there and write the documentation, right. someone has to figure out a way to onboard people. And I think when the culture is a good culture, it kind of influences people, so they do things better, so they do mm-hmm. things properly, and they are also nice to each other. So do you think that the culture kind of influences your work a little bit?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Asana has been very careful, but its own culture, it's, it's very like reflective. Um, I guess I could come back to that, but in, for the specific case of documentation, um, I think, so one thing that helps is that we have this concept of, of, of sprint days, so for every two-week sprint, you'll have one day that engineers can spend on other work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's work that's useful for the company, but not kind of directly something mm-hmm. that, for instance, a product manager is asking you to do. So people typically, you know, improve our tools, improve documentations, mm-hmm. fix like little bugs here and there that are not prioritized otherwise. Mm-hmm you know, refactor something that was ugly in the code, Mm -hmm. but you couldn't have the bandwidth to to do. Um, And so I think it provides, you know, a little bit of breathing room um, to make things just much better overall. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the question of whether the culture helps that, I don't we have a principle that says, you know, fix problems even if if they're not yours. Um, And people largely Follow it mm-hmm. yeah and I, I do think overall people are very um, as I said they're they're nice so you wouldn't want someone else to hit the same problem as you or to to be annoyed because you wrote something that's that's mm-hmm. just not working great um, so that definitely helps
1: mm-hmm. and did you know about I mean, did you study a little bit or talked about someone from Asana before starting there, or it was just something that you find out every after you joined the company?
2: Um, good question. Yeah, I, I definitely think researching a company is a good idea before joining it. Highly recommend. Um, so, what did I do first off? So, my one of my friends got contacted by Asana and he was not interested at the time, so he kind of passed it on to me. Mm-hmm. And I had a chat with Niranjan, who's the the manager of the Vancouver office when he was you know, starting to look for hires here. And our first um, contact was very good, so I had a good feeling mm-hmm. from the start. Um, and then I went through the process and I looked for things like Glassdoor. Glassdoor has very good ratings. I think mm-hmm. it's maybe 4.8 out of five, which is really impressive. Um, I found through some network, someone who already works at Asana, and I had like a quick chat with them just to check that, you know, it's, it's not fake reviews on Glassdoor <laughs> and people are actually happy to be there. Um, yeah, aside from that, I think you can also get a sense when you're interviewing. Um, mm-hmm. my interview process was, you know, pretty, pretty difficult but the interviewers were always very good at making you feel comfortable and not like pressuring you, not being like mean or mm-hmm. stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I had overall a very good feeling.
1: Mm-hmm. Are you talking about RG, RJ? <laughs> uh, no. Yes, yeah? I was uh, in an
2: interview with RJ, <laughs> uh, who's an another manager. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was actually, so there was uh, a uh, Denise who's also working here as a software developer. She was conducting the interview, but since she's junior, RJ was present in the room to kind of like, I guess, help her out mm-hmm. and and make sure it, it goes yeah. well.
1: Because I I met him at the Polygloton conference, mm. um, and it was um on this I met him him on this talk about your know starting your career in software development and he was really nice um, he offered some help because at the time i was trying to find a new job here in right. vancouver yeah so he's a pretty na- pretty nice person yeah
2: <laughs> yeah and that that's the kind of person you want as a manager right? yeah. someone who actually cares about other yeah, people. yeah
1: yeah that that makes a lot of difference that's true i i'm a, i you, I've been saying that I feel really fortunate that the two fintech experiences that one that was in Brazil was at Magnetis and here in Vancouver at Landesk it has been only my first week but I definitely feel that's that the impact of a good a good culture like you feel like the whole company put a lot of effort into the documentation, into mm-hmm. the onboarding process. Um of course there d- it doesn't matter if it is a really good onboarding process, you always can like improve it. But when you feel like your input will be added, like right. to the next person, that is really, really nice. Yeah. The I culture uh, is really yeah, important.
2: I, I do think I believe in improvement in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that that things and people can improve, and I think it's it's important to be around people that have the same mindset. That that you know take feedback and and are just excited about whether something can be made better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I I found. The way people communicate at Asana is pretty good as well. I haven't witnessed you know like any fights, any people being like you know getting in heated arguments about Mm -hmm. things um or or just making some sort of mean comments on your Mm -hmm. code or or conversations um so yeah it it helps um but it's a great question on how can you create this sort of culture and maintain a culture in a company Mm -hmm. um i think for us since we are growing quite fast in terms of new employees there's this challenge right on making sure the new employees will will also adopt the same kind of values mm-hmm. um, so yeah you know that's an ongoing effort as you were saying mm-hmm. yeah. company.
1: I think that if you feel that the company is open to feedback that's mm-hmm. already a good sign <laughs> Right. <laughs> like it says a lot yeah. but if you feel like I- if you have been saying the same things all over and over you know maybe it's time to find something <laughs> something else right.
2: It's true, you're right. The first step is to be open to feedback, but also the second step is to be able to change t- change based on feedback, which is hard when you are like just so many people to coordinate and everyone is busy with their own role um so that's yeah, that's another challenge mm-hmm. as well
0: So talking a little bit about the stuff you're doing now, mm-hmm. you are working on the product. can you tell me? what sort of things you do, like do you develop, do you do React, what are you doing Sure.
2: Right um, so our tech stack is a React front-end in TypeScript, so we're very strong <laughs> in like using a good type system, um, which is you know, powerful. Um, we have, we load data through something that's kind of like Apollo GraphQL, um, but it was built in-house kind of a while ago Um, and so it it basically takes care of everything for you you just declare what data you need um, and it will load it it will keep it up to date whenever something changes on the server so it's actually very powerful and we have a system of mutations where you can just send what updates need to be made Mm -hmm. Um, so as a result a lot of the backend work is kind of automated or, or abstracted away for you um, so for instance, we can define a new, when, when like in an SQL table, you would have to add a new column for yourself here. We can just edit a definition file that we write in TypeScript and then it will, um, it will, I mean, there's still a bit more work, but it mm-hmm. it's, um, it, it helps a lot in uh, moving faster, mm-hmm. um, when you're making any sort of data model change. Um, in terms of product, yeah, so I'm, I'm a product engineer. So I will do whatever is needed to get a certain feature built. Um, and so far in these first few months, it's been mostly on the front end side. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have a Scala, back uh, backend mm-hmm. that we use for doing any sort of computation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like a big query. That needs to, to do some sort of, of math and then return mm-hmm. you the result. Um, so you'll, you'll write that.
0: Can you tell me about a feature or something that you've built and you thought, oh, hey, this is cool? So I'm proud of this. Can you
2: give right. some details? <laughs> so I've been there for only five months, and the biggest project that I've worked on is not released quite yet. It's gonna <laughs> be released in a month. So in a month, you'll see. It's gonna nice. be. It's going to be cool. Um, my onboarding project after the bootcamp, my onboarding project was a conversion. So we had an old framework called Luna 1 that was also built in-house. Uh, that was not React, not, not TypeScript. It was before even React came out. And they had basically their own um, framework for doing uh, frontend apps. And you know it was cool at the time. But since then, you know, we've we've seen opportunities for improvement, and and React brings a lot of benefits. So there's a, a big push right now to get all this old code out by I think the end of the year. Um, and so as a new hire, it was a good onboarding, mm-hmm. I guess, practice project uh, that's still being useful for the company mm-hmm. um, to do that. And so I converted the basically the 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 dialogue where you can change your name profile picture like about me this sort of stuff
0: mm-hmm. cool and so you kind of change the code to use mm-hmm. react now is that
2: yeah. it? Oh, cool and the new data loading system um, and it was you know it was fairly straightforward but I think it's a good way to just practice making sure you've learned everything um, there was a little, like, we have a little toggle that can let you set when you're on vacation and for how long. Mm-hmm. And it was surprisingly tricky to figure out all the different cases. Like, what if they say they start their vacation, you know, before, or like, this, what if the end date is before the start date? What if the end date is before today? And all these kind of little details. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, after that, I moved on to. You know, we now have like a team fully formed and we're working on our own big project, which is cool. (laughs) The idea is that the Vancouver team is a fully formed product team. So we have, um, you know, two PMs, designers, UX researcher, data scientists, um, so that everyone can work Mm -hmm. together. um, And that definitely helps in terms of communication and mm-hmm. getting things smoothly out of the door
0: it looks like the asana team yeah. they built their own tool so you, you told me that oh we have this this tool that was used for the front end instead of react and then there's another one on the back end that kind of right helps with writing data access queries right. and stuff like that uh, can you mm. can you give me more details about that like do you have like a uh, infrastructure engineering team that works yes. on that kind of stuff.
2: Or um, yeah. And the reason why, uh, these tools were built, um, is that a- I think since the company started 10 years ago, a lot of the things we're familiar with today were not really there yet. Like Node NPM just was just getting started. Um, and at the same time, Asana, as an engineering organization, was always very forward-looking. Um, so one of our big engineering goals is to have everything be reactive to changes. Um, so you know, if someone changes some some value on their own browser, it should immediately reflect on your own. And nowadays, with tools like Firebase and React, it just almost kind of magically works. But ten years ago, it was it was hard to do. And so they definitely had to build a lot of infrastructure around that, um, and same thing for our GraphQL-like uh, data loading mechanism. It was developed before GraphQL was developed and released. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely yeah I guess part of the engineering culture to to have big <laughs> uh, big goals and and to build for them. Um, but you know for instance, they did adopt Typescript and react and I think that was a great a great call right A good bet on the, on the technology. Um, and we do have various teams. we have one that's very infrastructure oriented and we have one that takes care of the client side so the data loading framework. we have one that's more organizing the DB side of things on the back end Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and the goal their goal is to make the product teams as effective as possible
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm, that sounds really cool and do you have some autonomy to work on those things like you said you have a day every every sprint to work on something that you think it's important do you have lots of autonomy there
2: yes so for the way you use this one day it's as far as I know, it's entirely up to you, um, but of course you're encouraged to do something that you know is going to be useful at the end of the day. Um, so the way it works is that we have basically people are are responsible for certain areas. We call them AORs um, areas of responsibility, and so someone is the AOR for data loading. and. And then th- there might be some sub AORs for like more fine-grained details. And so these people just make sure you know there's no bugs and things like that. But they can also ask for help. They're like, oh, I would like to build this. I don't have the time to do it. And so then maybe a new engineer like myself could say, oh, I'm you know I'm interested in in learning a bit more about this aspect, right? Database management. And you can work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from that you can also pick uh, we have some a list of like bugs or like little improvements to make here and there that just haven't been prioritized that you can pick from Um, if you're passionate about something say accessibility on the web Mm -hmm. then you can just go and make sure our web app is as accessible Mm -hmm. as possible Um, yeah another thing i've noticed is in terms of dev process so during your regular dev program work um, you generally have a lot of autonomy as well the tasks are pretty like pretty non-specific and well so, so the, the goal of the task is clear but the way to get there is up to you mm-hmm. um, and so you'll you know you can figure your way out you can ask for help um, but it's up to you which i found uh pleasant (laughs) to work with right
0: that's so much better when you have some autonomy to make your own decisions and if you see something that you think could be improved you have some autonomy to fix it make it better Mm -hmm. so yeah it's very pleasant to be able to do right
2: but you also i agree with autonomy but you also need the checks and balances to make sure someone doesn't do something and maybe it doesn't realize some negative impacts that it might have. And so that's why we have these AR people who are gonna review your code and make sure it, it makes sense. Uh, we have like a little we have a file in each folder of the code base. And so whenever you make a change to to mm-hmm. this folder, it's gonna automatically add these people to the code review. Um, and so they'll they'll keep an eye on what's going on in in their part of the cookies.
1: <laughs> nice. And so, how have you been enjoying Vancouver so far? Have you f- do you feel like you are completely adapted? Or
2: so okay. I've been there for six years now. So it's mm-hmm. actually a long time. It's longer than most other places I've stayed at during my life. Mm. So <laughs> yeah, it's definitely feeling very familiar. Now, um, I think you would agree that Vancouver has a great quality of life. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very impressive. So the city is very safe. It's very clean. Um, obviously the outdoors are are impressive and you just can't have that Mm -hmm. in most other um, Mm -hmm. locations. The weather is pretty good. I don't know why people complain (laughs) so much about the rain, but.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: I I come from Paris and like there's also rain in Paris (laughs) and there's (laughs) clouds and stuff like that. And it's not that bad here. It's (laughs) definitely not as cold as Toronto or, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the East Coast. So I'm I'm glad for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say overall people are pretty relaxed. Um, Mm -hmm. I had some friends from Paris who visited us and they said there's a huge difference between the SkyTrain in Vancouver and the Metro in Paris. So the Metro in Paris is great because it it goes everywhere and it's really fast, mm-hmm. but it's also just very packed, kind of dirty. In the summer, it happens to get really, really hot. And in contrast <laughs> to that, the SkyTrain is, like, it's a pretty modern system, right? It, mm-hmm. it runs on time. I'm uh, Sure, it gets packed during rush hour, but that's only like, mm-hmm. what, half an hour? Every day possibly. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really not that bad.
1: Yeah. Coming from Sao Paulo, we (laughs) definitely agree with that. It's
0: true.
2: How is the public transit in Sao Paulo? It's terrible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's very bad. Like mm, Vancouver is the paradise for (laughs) at least for public transport. It's just great. It's awesome. So I want to ask you about the stuff, maybe the future, like mm-hmm. is there something that you're learning or that you want to learn about like software development or anything that you want to share, something that you're excited about?
2: Great question. Um, I'm always curious to see what the latest release of React will have because um, it, it's great to see how thoughtful the React team is at improving uh, this platform. I'm personally hoping for React to continue being, um, you know, kind of a, a like a big unifying framework that many, many people can use. Uh, and for the same reason, I hope that React Native is gonna be great. I'm waiting for the 1.0 release of React Native, um, because I would love to be able to code on mobile, um, more easily. Um, and from a personal point of view, I'm at the point that I'm also interested in, you know, how do we build things together as a team, right? How do you tackle bigger projects and especially working in a large code base, right? How do you balance, you know, improving tech debt and, you know, building features fast and all these sort of of questions. So mm-hmm. that's something I'm gonna be learning in the in the following years. Mm.
0: React started out as a library for views, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's becoming larger and larger. So you have more tools on your belt. So mm-hmm. you have like the React hooks, and you have Apollo GraphQL and Redux. So right. I don't I don't know if people still use Redux or not. But do you think that? Um, the React ecosystem is going to become like like a. It's going to become the main ecosystem to be in. So, if you want to build uh, f- any type of front end or even some back end stuff, mm. are you going to build with React and other tools related to React?
2: I think you're, you're very right to call it an ecosystem because mm. it's, it's not just React. Um, I read somewhere that of the, syst- the success of React was maybe because it didn't try to solve too many problems at once. Uh, it was very much, you know, the view part. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, we've had innovations coming from other places like Redux and like Apple, although GraphQL was created by Facebook. Um, so I think that's probably a good, that's a good thing. It, it brings strength to it, and the React team is able to incorporate some of these improvements. Um, whether there's any future for it on the back end I have no clue. I don't see how right now, but who knows. Um, mm-hmm. I just think overall like you know there, w- there was this golden age of jQuery where mm-hmm. in a way everyone was using jQuery and all the plugins were built for jQuery and it just worked right Um, and so if react can provide the same sort of paradigm then that's great Um, if a new framework comes out that is so good that people are switching away from react to get to this new framework that then I guess I'll be happy with that as well because it means (laughs) something really like cool and really much better will have emerged Mm -hmm. but in the meantime I'm happy to yeah, to stick with react
1: Mm-hmm.
3: cool
2: <laughs> not nice. to say that the other frameworks are bad like <laughs> I've used Vue, I've used Angular mm-hmm. <laughs> but back there
1: great, so I'm going to share Entwine, uh LinkedIn in the description notes if you want to talk more about front end React or Masters <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> Master's degree or about joining Asana feel free to talk to him <laughs>
2: yep,
0: and we're we always go to the React meetup in Vancouver, so yeah. <laughs> if you want to meet us, just go to the React meetup. Cool. Thanks so
1: much for sharing all of that with us. It was a really good conversation, and yeah.
2: Same. My pleasure. My first podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Welcome.
2: <laughs>
0: Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today, Antoine, and it was really good to listen, to, to learn more about your experience. And the stuff you've been doing so thank you very much for for joining us today
2: thanks for having me
1: (laughs) thanks for listening to this episode we hope you enjoy it don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter share this episode with your friends and follow us in our social media we are on Twitter LinkedIn YouTube and yeah see you there